0: Yeah, and some of that is simply the way that something like that is rolled out. If the decision is made, okay, all of our customer service reps, we can save you know fifty thousand dollars by using someone over overseas. That that you know, how, how do you do that? Do you, do you immediately shut down the entire customer service rep department and open up essentially a new one with new employees, or are you transitioning? All our new hires are going to be out of that new pool, but we're not going to fire our current one. I mean. That thing, that that type of transition needs to be discussed because people are going to be posting about this online and you you can just see what happened with that article. I mean, people are all over it just, just from the perception. And, you know, they say perception becomes reality. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey,
1: and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. It's the last Thursday of April, which means we'll take a look at some of the more notable HR-related news items this month. And returning to the podcast to help us draw practical people lessons from the headlines is David Meekles. David is a labor and employment attorney exclusively representing Florida employers. He's co-author of the premier legal textbook on Florida employment law and an avid writer and speaker. Welcome back to Good Morning HR, David.
0: Thanks for having me back, Mike.
1: So since you're in Florida, let's start with, uh, it's always seems a man from Florida or Florida man, but let's start with a story out of Florida that you brought up to me. And it's, it's interesting primarily because... Uh, it's, it's that law of unintended consequences coming to bear on, on, employers. Uh, basically it was the article and we'll link to it in the show notes, but told employers to brace for more employment law claims because of tort reform.
0: Explain that to me. Sure. So, um, basically, um, a lot of the personal injury firms, uh, have ticked off uh, a lot of folks in, uh. They feel uh, the, the way to address that is through uh, tort reform uh, so that these uh, verdicts can't be so high. Uh, they knock down a couple different things. They tighten up the time period on admissibility of, of doctors' uh, evidence. Uh, they also reduce the statute of limitations um, for negligence claims for four years to two years. Uh, so, so the intended consequences to, to rein in some of these uh, you know personal injury claims, uh, which tend to be negligent based claims. Um, And, you know, Morgan & Morgan is America's largest personal injury uh, firm. And uh, you may not know this, but they're headquartered right up the road in uh, Orlando, Florida. So um, as an employment attorney, I see them on the employment side. They have a very active employment law practice. I uh, deal with them with discrimination, but mainly uh, Fair Labor Standards Act, wage claims. Um, So sometimes these things overlap. Sometimes they get a client who got hurt, sometimes hurt at work, sometimes hurt somewhere else. And then they also have some kind of employment claim. So I regularly deal with them. And um, so sometimes w- where the unintended consequence that you're talking about could happen is that because the statute of limitations is reduced, it puts a lot of pressure on them to, to maybe not delay, not file F, uh, F, a FCHR, is Florida's version of the EEOC, the Florida Commission on Human Relations, or essentially the EEOC. If you file an EEOC charge as an pr- administrative prerequisite before you can get into court for various claims, such as Title VII, the ADA, things like that. So these law firms may say, well, you know what? Instead of waiting that entire long time period to go through the EEOC process, we'll just run right into court now and file whatever claim we have. And and sometimes it may be a viable option, such as if that claim is uh, negligent hiring or negligent retention, that would be something that we might see an increase. These are, you know, reading the tea leaves. Who knows if this is going to be the consequence? It's possible, maybe not. I usually in my own practice, see those kind of claims, um, kind of thrown in, uh, that that they're not the sole claim. Usually, usually there's some other kind of claim, uh, race discrimination or some kind of discrimination claim or retaliation claim. And then as part of that, they will throw in certain things like, uh, damages being intent, you know, uh, infliction of emotional distress, um, negligent hiring, negligent retention. So possibly we might see them skipping the EEOC stage and just running into court immediately. Um, and, but that's to be seen. We'll, we'll see. Whether that, and the reason that there's concern is because that's what happened in California. Right. California had tort reform, and that's what we saw happen in California. So that's possible what could happen um, as an unintended co- consequence here in Florida, too.
1: And, I mean, legislators are meeting across the country right now in a lot of states, including here in Texas. And there's always, uh, Texas did a big tort reform, what, 10, 10, 12 years ago, but there's always something, there's always an advocacy uh, group pushing to tighten plaintiff's abilities to, especially for uh, medical damages or things like that. And I mean, let's let's face it, we've got law schools all over the country pumping out new lawyers all the time. And uh, it's not like those lawyers who were doing uh, some sort of of tort litigation six months ago are going to just retire now. They're gonna they're gonna go look, and somebody's you know when people come to them uh, and they're either ticked at their former employer uh, uh, or or just responding to an ad, they uh, they're gonna be looking for you know those those lawyers are gonna be looking for some way to. Help that person recover some some money under some law, and uh, I've I've got lots of friends who are uh, on the plaintiff side of, of the bar, and they often will find some you know what the what the person comes in oh it was harassment well no that's not legally harassment but let's look at how you were paid for that overtime you mentioned and those kind of things and so the so the lesson for employers though is probably what what it always has been take care of business on the front end so that it's harder to get sued so uh you know and I'm a big believer that 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 starts with who you hire and and taking the time to make sure that you're you're putting and this could be so easily misconstrued as we'll talk to about in the next story but uh, you know, making sure you're hiring you know people who are good fits for the for the job who have the skills and the competence who are who are proven performers so that you're not going to have to overly manage them later and those people if they're content in their in their, in their jobs are not going to be the ones who go talking to plaintiffs lawyers But then you've got other things, you know, what else would you tell an employer who's, you know, about how to avoid, you know, just litigation avoidance 101 kind of things?
0: Yeah, actually, just just on the coattails of what you just said, my advice to my clients is if you can keep your employees happy, that's the best way to stay out of court. Happy employees don't sue. Um, Now, there's always, you know, the the aberration. There's always an employee who's happy to sue. (laughs) Yeah, but, um, you know, if you can keep your staff happy, they, they have no, even if they're, you know, uh, someone tries to poach them to go to a competitor or whatever, if they're happy with you, sometimes they won't even go even for a little bump in pay. Now, a lot of people will still go for a bump in pay, but, but keeping your employees happy really is the best investment you can make. And that's how you, you have union avoidance as well. Right. If, you're, if your employees are happy, they're not looking to leave you. They're not looking to bring in some kind of outside entity, whether it's a union or the Department of Labor or the EEOC to fix or give them a voice.
1: And I think that's a big that's a big thing too is the idea that companies that have whether you want to call it open books or uh, you know have a lot of transparency in how they make decisions, the state of the company, you know what our financial challenges are, where we are in meeting our organizational goals. When employees see that and and have access to that information, and they know how the company is performing they're going to understand why, well, maybe we didn't get an extra week of PTO this year, even though I'd like to have it or whatever, you know, whatever they, they see other people getting, they just understand the environment that they're in better. And I think especially in small to medium sized businesses, sometimes we hold the, our cards too close to our chest, uh, and, and then inspire the kind of trust or commitment from, from employees. I agree. And then also, you know, they need to look at just other things that we all need to do, all you know, regularly. Look at your handbook. Does your handbook, is it legal? <laughs> Does it, Are the things in there what you want it to say, what you want to defend in court, but has it been updated? Are you reviewing it annually or uh, after every legislative session, really? Because it's, it's getting more and more where the federal laws aren't what we have to worry about as much as it is, you know, the states we're operating in
0: and job descriptions and pay practices, those kinds of things. Agreed, agreed, especially um, like when it comes to the handbooks, you know, certain people have a vested interest to tell you, oh, update it, you know, as often as you can. But at the end of the day, there are huge, vast differences when it comes to the National Labor Relations Board. And that happens, it tends to happen when the administration changes. So if your handbook was drafted or revised under the Trump years, it's time to look at it again, because Biden is really Obama 2.0. The way that they're viewing these handbook policies is extremely pro-employee.
1: Right. And, uh, and it goes back also to training, training your managers. Uh, you know, these yes. are the things that have happened. This is, these are the things that have changed. These are our different risks than we had four years ago or, or six years ago. And we've just got to make sure those managers are constantly being trained because, and, and really I, I think, you know, HR gets a, uh, an unfair assignment sometimes because I'm a big uh, advocate for HR being the risk advisor but I think those frontline managers all the way to the CEO, the people who are making decisions and working, you know, managing people on a daily basis. Those are the risk managers. Those are the people who really, I mean, you know, are giving the employees the desire to shoot you
0: and the ammunition to shoot you with. If, if I agree. Considered. And, Mike, you know, when I advise my clients as to where to put their money, um, the first thing I always say is, is, is have a a good rock solid employee handbook, not something you download off the internet, not something that's old, not something that you, you don't even know where it came from or last time it was reviewed. Um, And then once you've done that, then the next piece of advice I always say is um, invest in training your managers, because it's usually not the HR department that's screwing stuff up. It's usually the managers and they, they do it because they're ignorant. They don't know any better. And if you, you know, they don't go to the HR seminars. So if, if we can train those managers that at least, at the very least, to be able to identify dangerous issues to steer back over to HR when they need to. That's
1: perfect advice. And on the idea of being straight with your employees about the company's financial situation, we come to Andy Owen, the CEO of Miller Knoll. She's been under fire for a, few, a couple of weeks now for what's on social media been called her rant uh, to employees on a company wide zoom call about, uh, the company's financial performance and, um, and the potential that are so, some employees concerns that they, they may not get bonuses this year because bonuses are tied to financial performance. So let's just listen real quick to this little video clip of, of her rant
2: questions came through about how can we stay motivated if we're not going to get a bonus? What can we do? What can we do? Some of them were nice and some of them were not so nice. So I'm going to address this head on. The most important thing we can do right now is focus on the things that we can control. None of us could have predicted COVID. None of us could have predicted supply chain. None of us could have predicted bank failures. But what we can do is stay in front of our customers, provide the best customer service we can, get our orders out our door, treat each other well, be kind, be respectful, focus on the future because it will be bright. It's not good to be in a situation we're in today, but we're not gonna be here forever. It is going to get better. So lead, lead by example, treat people well, talk to them, be kind and get after it. Don't ask about what are we gonna do if we don't get a bonus? Get the damn $26 million. Spend your time and your effort thinking about the $26 million we need and not thinking about what you're going to do if we don't get a bonus. All right? Can I get some commitment for that? I would appreciate that. I had an old boss who said to me one time, you can visit Pity City, but you can't live there. So people, leave Pity City. Let's get it done. Thank you. Have a great day.
1: So, I'll be curious, David, uh, what what's your impression of uh, of what she said to her employees uh, about their concerns about uh, perhaps not getting a a bonus this year?
0: Yeah, um, I think context matters. This was an hour and fifteen minute uh, presentation, and the snippet really was an uh, I think a sixty second or an eighty second uh, section of it. Um, that being said, every word matters and, um, you know, this is a company, it's a furniture company and, you know, they sell high-end stuff. They sell $1,000 chairs and coming out of COVID, there's a lot of people that are working from home and they, businesses don't need to buy $1,000 chairs too much. So this company may have, you know, some struggles coming out of COVID here and it it may not have anything to do with, um, you know, the quality of the staff. I mean, customers simply aren't buying these high-end things as much as they used to probably, um, I think this is an example of a CEO being tone deaf. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, there is a huge, vast uh, abyss between the CEO's pay and the average employee's pay. And and this is just growing wider and wider as every year goes on. And I think that it shows a CEO who's out of touch with the average staff in their organization.
1: And my take is a little, I think everything she said, was hundred percent accurate. I mean, you know, we're measuring, you know, if your bonus structure is tied to performance and you're nearing the end of the fiscal year and performance is not what, you know, it was supposed to be as far as, you know, sales and revenue, then yeah, it's, I think it's fair for a CEO to say, well, if you're going to dwell on whether or not you get your bonus rather than how we get revenue up, you know you're you're missing the point the company doesn't exist to give you bonuses the company exists to sell office furniture and we need to be figuring out how we get to to our sales goals and i think you're right and we've seen this with other other ceos who just forget that well if if i'm doing this over a video call there's a you know better than even chance that if i pick off anybody it's going to end up on TikTok or YouTube at some point, and just assume that employees are 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 recording you. But that's that's good advice for for us all, right?
0: Right. I mean, we, we saw that CEO from from that um, that tech company, uh, Hypersocial, who uh, you know, it wasn't like during a conference. He actually posted, I think, himself crying after he laid off a bunch of people. And you know, on the one hand, I assume he's probably trying to show his human side, but at the other hand as a CEO nowadays, you're always on, um, you need to have a PR person, uh, review this stuff before you post it because it clearly backfired. Um, so I, I think that that's the kind of stuff that there's a natural tendency to, to try to, to move fast on social media, but, um, sometimes you may not view it accurately from the perspective of, of some of the viewers. And I think it, it helps to have an extra pair of eyes on it before you upload it.
1: Yeah. And she, um, She did apologize for the tone, but to her credit, yeah, 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 exactly. And so she didn't, to her credit, I think she didn't, um, walk back and cave in to the, the bigger issue. And she still said, we've got to hit our numbers and, and, you know, it's bonuses are contingent on that. And I thought that was you know, we've seen a lot of CEOs over the last few years, um, totally cave and, and not have, you know, uh, you know, not hold the line with, you know, financial performance or whatever the issues were that they were trying to address. It was a little tone deaf. She didn't think about it may being recorded or, and, and, and getting out there. Uh, but, um, I think, you know, this is this is not the biggest problem facing Miller Null right now. I mean, their revenue numbers are the big ones, um, but we do need to remember employees are you know employees are out there and and recording. There's been a lot of conversations. I don't know if you've noticed on uh, some of the HR chat boards lately about employees uh, recording even in person conversations with supervisors and managers, uh, and. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not assuming that that's being recorded, you're making a mistake and you should probably treat your employees like you were being recorded, even if you knew you weren't. I mean, if you treated them that way, then you have a lot fewer issues.
0: Right. I mean, there there are plenty of forums and, and boards online where other low level employees are advising their, you know, their, their equivalents, go ahead and record it. And, you know, some States it's illegal to record, but at the end of the day, there may not be consequences. Um, there are certain agencies that take the view that you can record certain things such as if it's a safety violation or even if it's a concerted protected activity. So from that perspective, I agree. I think anyone in HR should be training the managers to assume that any kind of conversation could be recorded. Frankly, it's, it would help make sure that people are more careful with what they say if they're assuming that they're being recorded. Yeah. And, um,
1: you know, well, this you know it's just another example of a CEO getting burned by social media and you know she gave them the fodder that goes back to the first the first thing I said. you know, don't give them the bullets to shoot you with and sometimes you know we can't always expect that they're gonna they're gonna be reasonable uh, when they as they and, and as they hear what we're saying and uh, as, if they don't like the, the message we're giving them, it, it may show up out there. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 93 and enter the keyword NEWS. That's N-E-R. WS. On May 12th, I will be hosting a webinar entitled, Identifying Candidate Behaviors to Help Predict Success. We'll discuss how to glean key candidate behavior styles through assessments, application processes, and interview design. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM-certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI-certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar. At imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after May 12, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with David Meekles. This was an interesting piece of news uh, from uh, a survey that found that 47% of US workers are still using their employers' passwords after they've left the company. Uh, over half, 56%, said they opened their previous employer's uh, accounts to access information that the, they, the employees, can use personally. Uh, and they've also, uh, 40, over 40% said that they had, they had logged into some system to connect with former clients or customers uh, or for help with another job. And then almost 10% said they had done it to disrupt company activities. Um, what are companies doing wrong if employees can can access these
0: accounts? Um, yeah, two, two, two things. Um, first of all, there was a trend maybe about six, seven, eight years ago, BYOD, bring your own device. The company thinks, oh, great, we don't have to issue iPads or iPhones to everyone. We're saving all this money. At the end of the day, if all of the company's data is on all of these various different uh, phones and devices, when the employee leaves, there better be steps in place that can immediately retrieve that and lock that stuff down. If if it never went on the private uh, you know, employee's property, it's always on the employer's property. I always tell my clients, if you're firing someone, you need to coordinate with IT so that simultaneously, if possible, with the termination, that's when their access is turned off. Because sometimes it doesn't; the timing isn't right, and someone you know has their access turned off before that meeting, and then they kind of figure out what's going on, uh, that, and that then they sabotage things. Sometimes it doesn't happen quickly enough. Clearly, if fifty percent of the people are doing this, at least half of the people are never getting their access turned off, which that just speaks volumes. I have to think a lot of this are small companies. Maybe they don't have an IT person. Um, you know, maybe they don't realize. I, I've seen it personally in in my clients where. They have someone who's maybe an office manager or an office administrator who is kind of techie. Maybe they're a millennial or maybe even Gen Z. So they're kind of tasked with setting up accounts. And then the company owner maybe never realized that they have the administrative account. They they have access to all the stuff. And you know, when they fire them or when they quit, they didn't realize that they have essentially the back door in and they could change the passwords. They really can, can hold the company uh, hostage. And, um, this just comes down to some basic uh, knowledge about securing things. I mean, I know various uh, uh, people listening to this uh, broadcast are in different states and sometimes uh, non-compete agreements are not valid. In Florida, uh, similar to to Texas, but in Florida, we are one of the most um, uh, friendly states in the country for non-compete agreements. So uh, if if they're drafted properly, they're extremely likely to be upheld in in Florida. Um, That being said, you still have to You know, meet certain steps. You have to have a a legitimate business interest in in that. And one of the key things that you you do to show, you know, ideally you'd have a a trade secret or something that you want to keep secret. And ideally you would have some kind of evidence that you take steps to keep this stuff secret. You have uh, encryption, you have passwords, you do all this kind of stuff. And if you do that, then you're more likely to be able to uh, enforce such agreements. That being said, it's just good business practice to do that kind of stuff anyway. So if the company is not doing anything when, when they fire someone or when someone quits, that's the thing that they need to change because it's it's not too hard to turn off someone's access, especially if it, if they only had it on the company devices. It's a little bit harder if it was actually on their own personal devices. Well, and and on that note, what we saw
1: when everybody went remote in March of 2020 was Okay, here's the software. Log into our system from your personal computer at home. Well, folks, that's three years ago, and if you still got, you know, the your random employee using their personal computer to access company network resources and company accounts, probably need to rethink that because that's the same computer. That their kids may be playing, you know, Call of Duty on, or 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 downloading, God knows what, off the you know off the dark web, and uh, a data breach on that computer could be the thing that takes takes control of the rest of your network. And so, um, making sure, you know, and that's probably you probably got a lot of of employees working from home, who are. You know, looking for these productivity tools online to to install on their local computers, and if if you don't have strict policies around that and some way to monitor that, you don't know what data is company information. Well, and the same goes for all these Chat GPT type AI systems that will you know t- get collect your information and and you know repurpose it or do whatever you want it to do. That's great. But you don't think that information's ending up on a server someplace and that you're not training, you know, whether it's Google or Bing or whoever, uh, you know, you're not training them with your data. And some of that data could end up someplace else. Uh, I think that's pretty naive. And so we, that, that kind of security training and, and good security hygiene is critical. Um, and a lot of employers, if, if you're not even paying attention to what password somebody is, has access to you're probably not paying to these attention to these other things that are
0: that are there. Yeah, you, you, you raised a great point about that chat GPT, and, and I think that that needs to be addressed through – it could be addressed through a policy, but certainly some kind of communication from, from the business, especially HR. It could be as simple as a memo or an email informing people it's not appropriate to copy and paste our confidential information into chat GPT because you're disclosing it somewhere. And um, at, the one take-home point from this is at the very least – the company should uh, appoint some kind of password czar or password wrangler. Someone has to be in charge of this. And, and it's really important. It can't be something that you just assign to a low-level flunky or a temp or, or, or some of that really doesn't care. It really probably needs to be pretty high up, uh, maybe, uh, you know, in the HR themselves, the head of HR, or, or possibly even C-suite. Someone really needs to take that seriously uh, because there can be some severe consequences uh uh, down the road
1: and there are good password manager programs out there that if you have to share a password and multiple users use the same password for some system um, that can control that and makes it easy to kill the access and or change change you know uh, change a password and, and lock somebody out of the password manager those kinds of things but you just need to plan have a plan in place and uh, and do it and and ultimately, if you know, if the gatekeeper is the person that has that that walks out mad or gets fired or whatever, there needs to be a backup to that person. Somebody at the C level, or you know, in a lot of organizations, the owner uh, has to have that that key to to you know, unlock things when um, if you know if things. Everything's great with everybody until something goes wrong. Right. And, and, yeah. and so you think this is the employee
0: that would never do that thing to me. That's going to be the one who does it to you. And, so and be some, ready for that. And sometimes like that, we can address that. Like if it's someone leaving and if they're going to give them a severance agreement, we can address that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, ability to, to consult or, or give, giving continuing assistance later on, passwords, things like that. But not everyone deserves or, or is entitled to a severance agreement. Um, sometimes someone, you, you caught them embezzling or stealing, you're sure as heck not going to pay them. Um, you know, so, so someone else has to be in charge of that kind of stuff. You can't uh, just assume you'll clean it up on the end.
1: That's yeah. And, uh, and, but having a good termination checklist is, is a big part of that. Making sure you're getting your, your, uh, equipment back or that there's a way to make sure that your software and access is removed from their personal devices, all of that, And just reminding them, the company takes this really seriously. Do not use any of the information that belongs to the company or access that you had because you were a member of the company, uh, now that you're no longer here. So then, the the last one, uh, speaking of remote was, um, you know, we figured out in 2020, we could work remote and, uh, a lot of employers now are dealing with wage uh, inflation and benefit cost inflation, and just a need to expand the talent pool because the number of qualified uh, workers who actually want to work uh, is uh, is limited in, in some markets, uh, and so they're they're looking overseas for employees, and not even you know, or cross border anyway. Uh, there's a, a trend called nearshoring uh, where, uh, it's not, you know, across the ocean, it's in Mexico or it's in Canada. But that idea that, you know, well, if the job can be done in the next state, why can't it be done in the next country? And, uh, the wall street journal ran an article and we'll link to it that even mentioned Johnny C. Taylor of, uh, the society for human resource management. And, uh, I think he got a little heat for this, but he said that, uh, one of his technology people came to him and said, look, I've demonstrated that we can do this job remote and, uh, I want to move to, uh, another state. And, in his words, the light bulb went off and, uh, he, uh, he realized, well, if that job can be done remotely full time, why don't I ship it overseas and, and save about 40%, which, uh, which from a business aspect was great. Maybe it wasn't the, the best thing for him to tell the Wall Street Journal as the leader of the the nation's premier HR association, but um, what are your thoughts on, uh, for employers who are considering uh, sending some of their work outside the country, either to a contractor or to a bona fide employee in another country?
0: Okay, well, I, I think that we can all agree that um, the folks at the top of the organization have an obligation to to try to uh, run the organization efficiently. So from that perspective, sometimes you do have to uh, look outside your state or even the country. If you can get work done at at a fraction of the cost, it may be worth it. However, I think where Johnny caught, caught a lot of flack was a lot of people interpreted him as bragging about doing this. And it was done apparently in response to someone requesting to work, um, you know, remotely, and and that I think left a, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. That being said, th- there are some serious consequences to uh, employing uh, employees in various states or different countries, and a lot of especially small businesses may not realize this. You, you know, they think, oh, okay, I can get uh, you know someone to do my accounting or bookkeeping, and it doesn't matter if you know they're in a different state. Well, if that other state is California. Yeah, that might be a huge difference. Um, there's a lot of uh, employment laws that are vastly different than than the rest of the country in certain places. California, uh, you know, Illinois, New Jersey. You know, th- th- there are certain places that are known to have uh, a lot more regulation than others. So if you end up, you know, allowing your workers to go to some of those states, that may create a huge burden on the employer um, from from unemployment to you know, there's tax issues, um, for instance. Uh, uh, Sherm is, I think they have over 400 employees. So this probably isn't an issue where they're, they're like, oh my gosh, we don't have anyone else. We don't know how to do it over there. We don't, you know, how to pay the taxes. That That's not that going to be that type of issue for this yeah, organization. Yeah, I definitely hope <laughs>
1: Sherm can figure out how to, how, to, how to get the employment laws right overseas.
0: Yeah. And, you know, sometimes there, there can be language issues. There can, you know, if you hire someone from, you know, Mumbai and, you know, they have a thick accent, maybe your, your customers can't understand it. You know, there can be, Practical issues that may maybe doesn't make it a uh, uh, you know apples for apples kind of comparison. Um, that being said, if if all they're doing is data entry, it doesn't a lot of times matter where they're entering that data. Uh, but you know if if they you know trip and fall at their desk and, and maybe wherever they are, they're entitled to unemployment compensation. Um, you, you may be on the hook for that or workers' compensation, um, and you may not have thought about that. You may not have even had coverage for those kinds of things. Th- those are the kinds of things that you need to think about. And certainly nowadays, we're seeing places uh, like New York City. Uh, they have these these special laws that, if, you know, uh, uh, pay transparency. So if you're if you're hiring someone, you have to. And I think this is a great idea, actually. You have to identify what the pay range is going to be. And you know, if you're hiring anyone that's remote and they could really be working from New York City, you have to comply with that. So these are the kind of consequences that we're seeing in a post-COVID world where a lot of people are working remotely it's not just, Oh great. We can get a a much broader talent pool. Um, you know, and and maybe someone in some real teeny weeny city in Iowa, uh, you know, can, can deliver for us. And, you know, he or she would work at a fraction of of our our prices here in in our big city. Um, there, there are also consequences to, to farming that kind of stuff out either just another state or, or to another country. And those things really need to be balanced with, uh, uh, your talent pool, you know, how, how hard it is to get talent in your local area.
1: Yeah. And Mexico uh, is a good example. They've got a, a a large, highly educated workforce that is willing to work less, you know, for, for lower dollars, they've got a lower cost of living and quite honestly, lower expectations. Uh, and uh, anecdotally from my experiences, uh, a lot of White collar work environments that many most U.S. employees would never put up with, uh, as far as how you know ways they're treated and things like that, and so it's easy to recruit there. But when you know there if you terminate somebody from employment in Mexico, you're very likely going to be on the hook for up to three months of severance, and you've got taxes. And if it's a foreign country and you're hiring them as, in any foreign country as a direct employee. They're going to have expectations, the, the country is going to have an expectation that you have a corporate entity or whatever their equivalent is, that you have a, a presence there and there's cost there and there's tax benefit burdens there. It's
0: something something was in the news several months ago about someone in, in Holland uh, making a, a big recovery because uh, they were working remotely and, and the employer didn't realize what the rules were over in Holland.
1: Yeah, and... So the, in the alternatives, there are to work through contractors or even foreign PEOs. Uh, but even there, you need to talk to legal counsel there to find out, you know, what does is, what is co-employment doctrine look like there? I mean, just because it's a PEO doesn't mean I'm necessarily off the hook if they don't take care of their business. And, um, you know, especially if you have a lot of employees there, you have assets there, you want to make sure you're protecting those by doing everything the, the legit way. Um, but on the flip side, like you said, uh, as an organizational leader, if our, if our responsibility is to be the best stewards we can of the organization's resources, it may be that a 40% reduction, which is what Johnny C. Taylor quoted, uh, you know, in labor cost makes a significant enough difference. That it's worth, you know, going through all those processes to figure out what you can
0: do. Yeah, and some of that is simply the way that something like that is rolled out. If the decision is made, okay, all of our customer service reps, we can save, you know, fifty thousand dollars by using someone over overseas. That that you know, how, how do you do that? Do you do you immediately shut down the entire customer service rep department and open up essentially a new one with new employees, or? Are you transitioning? All our new hires are going to be out of that new pool, but we're not going to fire our current one. I mean, that thing that that type of transition needs to be discussed because people are going to be posting about this online, and you could right. just see what happened with that article. I mean, people are all over it just just from the perception, and you know they say perception becomes reality. Yeah, and
1: again, it goes back to the be, choose your words carefully. If as an organization you're doing that don't go bragging don't say it in a way that sounds heartless you know in in the in the way that quote was rolled out from johnny c taylor it was the employee has to work remote and when i realized that she could work remote i thought well i can just fire her and hire uh, you know hire somebody else is the way it was framed uh and i i don't want to suggest that was, that's where his heart was. That's just the way the words came across.
0: And, and there's nothing about a disability. There's no allegations right. or no, no hints about a disability. But if there ever were, if the reason that they wanted to work remotely was because of a disability, that, that certainly would, would trigger a phone call to your employment lawyer because that's very, that's very a, a hot topic right now. The EEOC is all over that kind of stuff. And that is a highly risky termination at this point without um, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. And
1: even if it's not overseas, uh, if we're letting our employees stay remote, we still need to keep up with where they're located. Uh, You know, I've heard a number (laughs) of anecdotes from employers who said, I got an ugly letter from the state of Colorado saying that I owed them uh, back taxes uh, for an unemployment comp and all of this because the employee that we laid off. We didn't know they'd moved to Denver or, or we didn't know they'd moved to Oklahoma, which, you know, from Texas. And if and Texas doesn't have a state income tax, Oklahoma does. And there's reporting requirements.
0: And what if they're digital nomads? What happens if they bought a Winnebago and, you know, every month they're in a different state? I mean, yeah, there, there are, yeah. you need to track where your employees are.
1: Yeah. Uh, whether it's inside the U.S. or outside. Okay. Well, we, I think we've covered a month's worth of news. Thanks for joining me, David. That was fun. Sure. Thanks for having me back. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at GoodMorningHR.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at RobMakesPods.com. And thank you, as always, to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. Please don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. and Until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.